Welcome back to the podcast, Addiction in the Family, Now What? I'm Larry, I'm your podcast host, and today we're going to discuss uh, Rocky Times. Rocky Times is a chapter in the book that I wrote, but it applies to all of us. Rocky Times, uh, in my book, uh, discusses the situations that arose when my daughter uh, went into sober living that was affiliated with the facility that she had attended. The facility was an excellent facility and they had rules. And without even realizing it, I was enabling her because they didn't want the client to have a vehicle. If they had a vehicle, they could sneak out and do whatever they wanted. They did provide transportation to go to meetings at night. And uh, in the county where they were located, there was pretty good rapid transit. But the reason I enabled was that she was a chef, my daughter, and uh, she worked at a resort in Florida, and she had to uh, sometimes work late at night when rapid transit wasn't working so well. So I went in and I said, would it be possible if she used her car to go to and from work? And they agreed. So she moved into their uh, sober living facility and things went good. Uh, I paid the first two weeks. Things went well for her. And about two and a half weeks into the session, the rocky time started. So what were the rocky times? I suddenly got a call, nothing major, uh, just they called me and told me that she had to leave the facility. So uh, it kind of acted like a cure for my constipation, but I said, can I ask why? And they said, well, there's uh, certain procedures. We're not permitted to tell you anything. Uh, confidentiality is the rule here. She's an adult. If she wants to tell you, you could ask her. Uh, she could tell you what happened, but uh, she wasn't 100% truthful with us about certain things, and we had to ask her to leave. We don't do that lightly, and she knows why she was asked to leave and she has to leave if you could pick her up i know it's late today but if you could pick her up in the morning and move her out we would appreciate it uh, so i thank them for calling me and letting me know that there was a situation and not just putting her out on the street which some sober living facilities will do uh, more than some and uh, I hung up the phone looked at my wife she looked at me and said what's wrong and I told her that she was asked to leave the facility and uh, we uh, both were kind of downtrodden uh, that evening the next morning I went there and I picked her up 
and there was this guy standing there staring at us and uh, she asked if he can come with us and I said who's he and she said oh he's my boyfriend and I said when did you get him for a boyfriend and she said well so and so introduced us uh, this is her brother he's also in uh, recovery and he's living at the sober living facility for men and uh, I said, wait a minute, aren't they supposed to be separate? And she said, well, that's silly. Look, I'm an adult, Dad, and I work. And, uh, you know, if I want to meet a guy, I can meet a guy. Who would they to tell me that I can't? I said, get in the car. He'll have to find a way to meet you, and I don't approve of that. So just let that be known right up front. You shouldn't be getting into relationships right out of treatment, you should be concentrating on your recovery. Uh, <clears throat> at which point she got in the car, slammed the door, put her suitcase in first, of course, and we didn't talk on the way home. We got home and uh, she called up her boss where she worked at a, a it, it was a, a hotel and resort in Florida. We lived in Florida at the time. And uh, she asked when she can come back to work. And he said, the following Monday, you can come back. We'll make arrangements for you to be in a easier uh, part of our facility so that you don't have to work as strenuously until you get back on your feet. She thanked him. She hung up the phone and she went into her room and we didn't talk for the rest of the day. Um, I went to work the next day and she went to work the next day and my wife and her had been in her room talking and uh, I knew that wasn't a good thing because she can work my wife easier than she could work me. At the time I had been going to family night meetings and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I, I had more knowledge than my wife did about the disease, but I still had not gained all that much knowledge. And uh, But I knew certain things, and I knew it wasn't good that she uh, wanted to continue to see this uh, gentleman that she had met. And, uh, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe it was going to work out. He was in recovery. She was in recovery. But two people in early recovery, it's not conducive to recovery. Uh, they both should be going to meetings, getting a job, getting on their feet, and concentrating on maintaining their sobriety, not, you know, having a... a a relationship to put it mildly so things happened and uh, I uh, I was upset and uh, it turned out he came to see her at the house and uh, I didn't even want him to know where we lived it would have been nicer if she could meet him at a meeting or something like that but I don't know this guy from a hole in a wall. He's a big guy, and uh, I'm an old guy, and I don't know what he's all about. All I know is that uh, he offered to have his mother pay rent 
if he could stay in our house with Z. We'll use her assumed name for the book because there is an uh, anonymity uh, with this disease, not that it matters anymore. My daughter has passed away from an overdose. Uh, and every day I think about how much I loved her and every day I think about how great her life could have been because she had everything going for her except for this disease. She was bright, she was a talented chef, she had a great sense of humor, she, she was extremely bright. She graduated college with all kinds of honors. Uh, but young people, you know, somebody once said, too bad that youth is wasted on the young. Uh, I, I, would, I would often tell people in family night when I had my halfway house that these sentence, these sayings are not just brought up by somebody who had nothing to do but think about sayings. They're brought up from experience. And uh, uh, most of the time they, they make so much sense when, you know, hindsight, that's another saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. Uh, but you don't always look back, you know, and you don't always see things clear when you're looking forward and you're young and uh, when you suffer from this disease, you don't always see things clearly when you're older, but that's this disease. Uh, so I'm going to have to stop saying, ah, uh, but let's see what we can do with this topic. So she came home and she went back to work and in the evenings uh, her significant other who suddenly became a significant other in a very short time uh, would go into my office get on the computer and they would look for sober living facilities because things weren't going smoothly for them at home and if it's not going smoothly for them it's not going smoothly for me and my wife and we have a house and we live there and we support ourselves in the house and at our age it's you know supposed to be that you're having a relaxing life or not even relaxing but you're supposed to have a life but uh, it's very hard to do when you're living with an addict in the house who's she claimed that she was not in uh, addiction mode or relapse mode, I should say, and that she was doing fine and going to meetings. Uh, if that was true, God bless. If that was true, I wouldn't have seen uh, the things I was seeing. But all right, I was willing to take her word for it. She just got out of treatment. She was in early recovery. And when you're in early recovery, you're not doing the things that you do later on in late recovery. So I was willing to give her the benefit at that time. So her and her significant other would go in and they finally found a halfway house. Uh, was this halfway house uh, good? Was it 
you know, I knew nothing about it, but they brought me, they were telling me that before they moved in, they wanted me to check it out, which put me on my toes a little bit. What do you mean you want me to check it out? You're doing all the research and everything. Well, we want to make sure it's a good facility and uh, your judgment is better than ours. So all of a sudden, my judgment was better than theirs. When it came to having a relationship and early recovery, which every facility that's legitimate warns against, my judgment wasn't good and their judgment wasn't good, but all of a sudden. So I'm, I'm you know, checking to make sure that I'm not going to get hit for the bill because she had a job and supposedly he's looking for a job. So a legitimate facility will give you time to get on your feet and you could either pay them back or they'll comp you for the first week or two until you find uh, a job. And from what I understood about her significant other, uh, he wasn't gonna get a job as an engineer or a doctor. So manual labor seemed to be uh, his destiny as far as employment went. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. When I was going to college, I worked on trucks. My father had a trucking company and he never cut me any slack. I was pulling heavy hand trucks. I was working on 27 foot trucks and I was loading them and unloading them. And I, I you know, I put in a day and a half every day. So I, I felt no compassion for him working too hard. But first, before he could work too hard, he had to find a job, and it didn't seem that he was looking too hard. It seemed like he was waiting for her to come home so they could look for a place to live. Uh, and that bothered me too. So I would uh, catch her alone, which was hard to do because he stuck to her like feces on a carpet. Uh, but when I got her alone, I said, uh, has he found a job yet? Oh no, it's very hard to find a job now, Dad. I said, uh, I don't know. I know most of the people that come to family night meetings, they find a job in a week. And, you know, I, I, I get the feeling that the big difference between them and him is that they look and he's waiting for somebody to call him. And she would get mad at me and for being sarcastic, and maybe I was sarcastic, but in the meantime, he still didn't have a job, and it was about three, four weeks since he was removed from the sober uh, living facility that they both had gone to, only there was a separation from the male side and the female side, but somehow they got together. And... Uh, I, I, I was waiting to see the signs because previously she would say the boss has given me a hard time, this chef is trying to flirt with me, and uh, I wasn't going to take that, and then uh, the next thing you know she was fired. And it wasn't her fault, she was doing great, but uh, he, uh, the, you know, the other chef was, uh, you know, being... Uh, uh, fresh with her and she talked back to him and they took his side. All right, so that happens once, maybe. If it happens twice, maybe. But it happens every time she loses her job. So isn't that a coincidence? 
But, you know, it's possible too, but, you know, then she, uh, then she had to go into treatment, so maybe it wasn't possible. But times were hard, and uh, it was hard for me. It didn't seem that hard for her because they would look on my computer for like 20 minutes and then uh, retreat to her room, and I didn't like that either, and she had a lock on her door, which was bad. Don't ever let your loved one, if they're living at home, have a lock on their door. You never know when you have to get into their room in an emergency situation. But we had uh, a little screwdriver. It was one of those locks where you just turn a little thing and the door was locked. And if you have a little jewelry screwdriver, you could stick it in there, feel it catch, turn it and open the door. So don't ever feel that you can't get in there if you think there's something going on. And uh, you just, you know, stick that screwdriver through the little hole in the doorknob, turn it, and you're in there, and if you can't, if you're having a hard time and you're not getting a response when you pound on the door, dial 911. It's not to get the police there, but there's a good chance that they've overdosed. And if they haven't overdosed, the paramedics will come and they will uh, tell you, okay, good luck, and leave. They're not going to take her to the hospital or your loved one to the hospital if they don't need to go to the hospital. Um, so, uh, things were going along not so great. And uh, what do you call it? Uh, we we uh, were having more and more headbutting sessions, and one day she came in and said that they found a place and they would like me to check it out. So, yes, I agreed. I went to check it out, and previous to those places I checked out looked like hepatitis forms. Uh, I mean, they were dirty, they were, you know, first of all, my feeling is if they're going to let somebody in early recovery move in and live together with their significant other, that place is not right. Because unless they've been in a previous relationship and they're living as a married couple for some time, uh, they don't usually have couples, you know, newly established couples living together in a recovery residence. Uh, and then there are residences that specialize in couples. In other words, uh, if somebody is watching their children and a male or a female is going into a recovery residence, uh, and they want to live together. There are facilities that treat them as husband and wife if they've been established as a couple for X amount of time. So, yes, they, uh, they claimed that they had found a place that would take them in and I didn't buy it, but I went to see the residents because I didn't want to be the one who always 
treats them as though they're lying and be the one that uh, starts the conflicts all the time. Her mother was okay with this. And uh, obviously his mother was okay with this because for sure I wasn't paying neither of their uh, fees. She was making a living now. And uh, he was, you know, sure not getting any money from me. so. I was still concerned about the last comment that he made that his mother would pay his rent while he was living there with my daughter if I let them move in. I mean, he he was an adult. Why is his mother paying his rent? So they, they went there. The place looked clean. And I didn't see many couples, but, uh, it didn't look like your typical flop house. And uh, I said, look, I'm against this. You know that. But if you're moving in somewhere, at least it looks like it's not a roach motel. Uh, you guys can only do what you can do. I recommend that uh, you go back into treatment. I think you both need it. and. Uh, I think you need help both. And again, I was uh, asked to uh, mind my own business because I don't know what I'm talking about. But okay, they moved in. And after uh, a couple of weeks, I got another call. And uh, and the reason I get the calls when something goes south is that you know, I work and I make the money and uh, they needed financial help or they needed help and my wife wasn't driving up to the place. They needed to come back home or she needed to come back home. He wasn't going back home. Of course, as I later found out, his mother, you know, wasn't taking him back in. It happened too many times and she was suffering suffering from what I described at a previous previous podcasts as compassion fatigue. She had had it with him. She loved her son dearly, and she helped him financially, but she didn't want him living at home. So he was looking for another place to live because I found out that one thing that he hated worse than giving up his addiction or moving into recovery was working. So uh, they called me up and they said, uh, my stuff is missing. I said, what do you mean your stuff? My computer's gone, my this is gone, my that is gone. Somebody here is stealing our stuff. And I said, why don't you lock your door? Well, we're not permitted to in case of an emergency. They have to be able to get into our room. I said, did you talk to the house manager? And they said, yes. And he said, he'll keep an eye on it, but more stuff is missing. We're going to have to move out of here. I said, well, find another facility. Well, I can't because they took my computer. 
I said, do you think that your significant other took the computer and sold it to, you know, moved it to a pawn shop so that he had money for drugs? Why do you always think of that? That's disgusting. What's wrong with you? You don't trust us. We're working so hard to maintain our sobriety and all you do is bring it up negative things. You're always so negative. I don't understand what's wrong with you. I said, what's wrong with me is I'm looking at reality. These things always happen to you. Uh, I go to meetings and people are living in sober living facilities and they come to the meetings. You never come to the meetings. He never comes to the meetings. And uh, all of a sudden everything you have is being stolen. And I don't understand why it's always you. Well, maybe it's because you're negative and we have these problems. If we were living in the house, this wouldn't happen. I said, if you were living in the house, you wouldn't be living in the house because I don't like what I'm hearing and I don't like what I'm... There you go again, you're being negative. I said, well, find another place to live and I'll help you move there. And that conversation was over. And... It must have been maybe another week or two, and I'm trying to think, maybe another week or two went by, and I got a phone call from my daughter, and the conversation went kind of like, he caught somebody trying to break into our room, and steal something and he got in a fight and they called the police and they're on the way you got to get over here right away and get us out of here we could end up in jail and you it's a catastrophe here this is a horrible place we're gonna we're gonna get in trouble we're gonna get beaten up we're gonna get you know and all these things are flying at me from different directions and uh, I'm not uh, look, I grew up in a neighborhood that wasn't the greatest. It was, as far as I knew at the time, but it wasn't. It wasn't a fancy neighborhood at all by any means. We we were in the schoolyard all day. There were tough guys in the schoolyard. They used to have uh, gambling in the coop, and the cops would come and raid the games and. You know, I saw plenty in my life, but I knew that I was growing up and I was going to, you know, get educated. And uh, I, I was not a tough guy. When I say I wasn't a tough guy, I could handle myself, but we didn't go around starting fights and stuff like that and robbing stores. Uh, I grew up knowing that I had to get an education and do well in life. So I, I didn't even have thoughts about what was going on now. So uh, she begged me to come get her and her significant other. And uh, I said, I'll get you. And she said, okay, just get me out of here. And I drove there with my wife. We put her suitcase in the car. And suddenly she had two suitcases, and I looked at my wife and I said, she came here with one suitcase, didn't she? My wife looked at me and said, maybe she bought things. So I put the second suitcase in the car, she got in the back seat, 
And so did her significant other. And I said, what's going on? And she said, you got to get them out of here. They're going to arrest them if they get. So home we went. And I said to her, he's got to be out by tomorrow. And she said, we know that. We've got to look for another place. And uh, in they went to her room. And I would imagine that they unpacked because they knew they weren't getting out. I had a better chance of getting out than they were. They weren't getting out. And uh, I had a new boarder. And uh, the chances of his mother paying the rent, which I really didn't want to begin with, uh, were between no and uh, never, because she wasn't paying his rent. She, that was part of her compassion fatigue. She wasn't supporting him anymore. When he went into treatment, yes, she had a chance of supporting him, but she wasn't paying his way now he was an adult and he should be working his own way he came out of treatment and he was sober why would she support him even if he was getting high but uh it was it was not a good time at my residence my wife was saying i love her and we gotta help her and i was saying you know, I love her too, and uh, I don't want to help her. She got a job, and she can do her own thing. There are people that work where she works that are living in their own apartment. If everything is as good as she says it is, why can't she get a job? Uh, not get a job, I'm sorry. Why can't she move into her own apartment? And, uh, you know, if she wants to live with him, that's two jobs paying the way. Uh, and there again, I was told to keep my nose out of their business. Well, their business became my business when they wanted me to support them, and I wasn't going to do that. Or so I thought, but things change when you're not paying attention to what's going on. And uh, suddenly, uh, I had a new border. And uh, took a little while, but my wife is not one to give up money to support somebody she didn't know. And I was making X about the money a week. A pharmacist does well, but they don't do great unless they have their own business and it's successful. I had my own business for many years, but I didn't have it at this time. And, uh, you know, what? What do you do? Well, you set boundaries and you tell her she got to be out at a certain time, but that's very hard to do when you love your child. And the bond between a child and a parent is much, much stronger than the bond between siblings and uh, love between a husband and a wife. But my wife and I just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary. I wasn't breaking up a long-term marriage over my daughter, who seemed to me to be entering into active addiction if she wasn't already in active addiction. Uh, and her love, excuse me, her loved one who was in active addiction or entering into active addiction. And uh, I didn't need two people that were in this kind of condition living at home. So I sat them down and I spoke with them and I said, listen, you both have problem. You're not living a sober life. You are acting 
in addictive behavior. You're showing me addictive behavior. And I got a response of, you think you know a lot because you go to those meetings, but you don't know anything about addiction. And I said, all right, I'll grant you that. Maybe I don't know everything about addiction, but I do know that you're not acting right and you got to get out find a place to live, find a sober living facility, or go back into treatment. And my wife was very upset with what I said, but she was beginning to notice things. And eventually, she happened to walk by the room that they were using. My daughter was at work. He was laying in bed, and she noticed that he was shooting up. And it took her a few days to tell me because she didn't want to mention it. She was afraid of what I would do. But she mentioned it finally and mentioned it to my daughter and told them and she admitted they relapsed and I told them they got to get out. And that's one of the most gut-twisting and hardest things that you will ever, ever have to do. I mean, you have a daughter that you held in your arms when she was born, and you got up in the middle of the night, and you fed her her bottles, and you took her to school on her first day, and you watched her grow up, and and the love that you have for your daughter well, well, your child is just compounded by so many things that you did with them. And suddenly you're forced with having to make this decision, set this boundary. You got to tell them to get out. You can't live like this. You're aggravating your mother and you're aggravating me and we're not young and we're not going to get sick and possibly, you know, have a bad heart attack and die from aggravation. And if you had any compassion for us, you would know it. If you choose to live that lifestyle, that's up to you. I don't recommend it. It's, you know, but I recommend you go back into treatment and I'll help you any way I can. But uh, you can't live at home like this. You're doing too many things to aggravate us. And she admitted that she was using and that she'll find a place to go. And it took a while and uh, she left and he wasn't packing. I said, uh, you gotta leave, she left, where are you going? And uh, as I remember correctly, we came home from food shopping one day and they were having almost a fist fight on the driveway and I said, what the heck's going on? And. Uh, he said, she said, uh, somebody probably stole somebody's drugs and they were ready to have a fist fight. And he was a big boy. So I said, you got to get out. So I don't care where you go. You got to get out now. She packed her stuff and left. And he went into the room and laid down in the bed. And I said, what are you doing? 
He said, uh, well, I got no place to go. I said, call your mom. She won't help me. I said, neither will I. You got to get up and you got to get out. And uh, he said, I can't. I got no place to go. Call the cops. They won't take me out. I've been living here for a while. Uh, you'll have to go to court and it'll take months for you to get me out. I said, let me ask you a question. I can get you out. Uh, do you want to get thrown out or do you want me to uh, put you on a plane and get you uh, home to your mom? And he said, that'll be okay. So there were no flights at that point. I uh, called up the train station and there was a train going out, but it had just left. And then I took him to a motel, I put him in the motel, and the next day he was going to leave. And then I got a call from my daughter, and they were both laughing at me. And they said, we're keeping the money. We brought the ticket back, and uh, bye. We're, he's not leaving, and I'm not, I'm going to, you know, we'll find a place to stay. I said, as long as it's not here, you got that money. I learned a lesson. And uh, that was it. They were out. But let me tell you something. As much as I hated to see my daughter in that predicament, it was such a good feeling to get them out of the house. It was like taking off a pair of tight shoes. And it would never happen again until the next time. Because let me tell you something, when you're dealing with your daughter or a son or somebody that you love, it's very hard to set boundaries and keep it until, until you and your significant other, your wife, your, daughter, your husband, are on the same page and that doesn't always happen and the session is over so let me thank you all for attending and if you have any questions let me give you my email address it's addiction in the family now what at gmail.com Send me your questions. I will address them at the next session. And if I don't have time, I'll address it at the session after. But I will get back to you. And I want to thank you all for attending. And I just want to mention the book that I wrote to help you deal with this disease. It's called, by coincidence, Addiction in the Family, Now What? It's written by Lawrence Fish, who's me. and. It was originally written to help those who can't attend meetings or for some reason won't attend meetings. And I don't hold anything against anybody. If you won't attend meetings, there's a reason. You have that reason. But by this book, it'll help you become acquainted with this disease and how to deal with it. And if you do attend meetings and you do listen to this podcast, this book acts as a reference to the podcast. So what does that mean? That means when you went to school, your teacher would give you a textbook and then he would lecture or she would lecture or they would lecture. And the book was a reference. You could look up what they said. We talk about a lot of things in a very short time. And 
Uh, this way, if you're not sure about something, you could look it up in the book. I want to thank you. The book is available at uh, Amazon. It costs $20, best $20 you'll ever spend. Thank you for joining me, and have a great week. Hopefully, I'll get to speak to you again next week. Bye.